Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Tonight we're going to talk uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, so in your pew Bible, it is page 824, Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So as I looked over this and did some research on this, um, you got to take a look at just that. You got to take a look at the two prayers. First of all, we'll take a look at the Pharisees' prayers. Um, he went up to the temple, definitely a religious man. Um, the words about him are true. He was verily, you know, he was, from all moral standpoints, he was a decent man, religious, you know, he fasted regularly, gave tithes to all he had, you know, there was really no fault about him. But if you notice, how the Pharisee begins his prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. In reality, the Pharisee did not have the appreciation for what God had done for him. You know, and he talks about how great he is. The Pharisee thought of when he did something good, in his words it was, I, 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 I. Um, his prayers manifested the attitude of self-righteousness. You know, and the Pharisee makes mistakes of boasting about what he feels he's done right, um, and he fails to mention the sins, while at the same time, he easily sees the sins of others. And I know if you're taking notes, those two were mixed up. And I had it marked, and I still didn't change it. So does the Pharisee, um, could it be that he doesn't see himself as a sinner, while at the same time that he sees the sins of others? You know, he definitely makes the mistake of comparing himself to others in order that he might look good to others and to make others look bad. You know, this definitely teaches us 
that we need to evaluate ourselves each and every day. You know, faithfulness in God's sight is not based on comparisons with other humans, right? We will be judged by God's standards and his word. So now let's take a look at the tax collector. As Bridget said, when they were singing up here, we're going to look at two completely different people. You know, the tax collector's prayer was definitely a very, very refreshing contrast to that of the Pharisee. Um, and the tax collector, you know, his prayer consists of those seven words. Um, and Christ will praise him. Um, and he was, he was an example of a person that was poor in spirit. And like I said, the tax collector's prayers consisted of just the merely seven words. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, instead of boasting about his good qualities, he labels himself a sinner. There's no I, I, I about it. He confesses his need for God and pleading for God's mercy. And after Jesus finished telling his story, Jesus said that the tax collector was justified, whereas the Pharisee was not. So, main lesson here in this parable that Jesus says is, um, you know, Jesus declares the tax collector was justified for everything who exalted himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The lesson here is we need to be humble. Um, humble people recognize their weakness and strive to do better. Um, they count others better than themselves. Um, the humble do not seek after man's glory or praise, but God indeed. The truly humble will humble themselves before God and obey him, being his servant rather than a servant of himself. And James 4:10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Um, the church definitely needs servants, uh, not self-righteous boasters. Um, we Let us look, and we need to look at Jesus as the supreme model for humility. So this is where Pastor Lloyd allows me to put my twist on it. So if you don't know, uh, I am a history teacher and I have taught for 15 years. And as I've taught history, I have definitely talked about many, many people that need repentance. And I think it was Pastor Ryan in the first Sunday. It's more than uh, dictators and tyrants, I think is what you stated. So, you know, we can look at history and there's a lot. And I started going out when I started doing this and. I had a few picked out in my own mind, and as I started doing research and finding stuff and, you know, type it in and it just shows up on the internet, um, I did find a couple. I actually have three, but it might get long. So, but I do have a couple. And so, the first one, if any Civil War buffs out here, Nathan Bedford Forrest, Confederate Cavalry Commander during the American Civil War. He was a racist, a slave trader, 
and he was one of the first early leaders of the KKK. Um, he's probably known for some battles at Shiloh, Fallen Timber, Murfins Bureau, but his most, probably what he's most famous for is the Fort Pillow Massacre, where him and his men took Fort Pillow, went in, and as Union soldiers, and at that time, this is post-January 1st, 1863, after the Emancipation Proclamation, so African Americans can fight in the Civil War. Most of them were African Americans, and there was no prisoners. About 277, almost 300, tried to surrender, and his men didn't allow it. They pretty much murdered all of them. So that's what he's most known for. Um, you know, and why do I bring him up? Well, I typed him in, and there is, let me change pages, a Baptist pastor in Lake Charles, Louisiana, Shane Castler, actually wrote a book, Nathan Bedford, Forest Redemption. And he is hammered on why he, why he would write a book about somebody as evil as Nathan Bedford Forrest. And, you know, he says, I didn't write a book praising him. I wrote a book praising Jesus and how Jesus can save the ultimate sinner in somebody like Nathan Bedford Forrest. And the bigger, so talking about how evil he is and the more evil he gets to be, the more his thesis is proven in this book of how Jesus can save somebody like him that, is, that has repented. And so um, it's ironic, it's about 150 some pages. Anybody who wants to borrow it, it is for teaching history for as long as I have, talking about all the evil stuff this man has done, not wanting to talk about him in class, an eye-opener. The Fort Pillow Massacre, not true. According to this book, he wasn't even in there for the first two hours. He went and stopped his men from doing what they were doing. He was raised by a great Christian mom and married a great Christian lady. And as he fought through the war, he didn't he believed in God, but he never followed him until 10 years afterwards. And his wife constantly prayed for him, for him to change. And at 10 years after, he changes. So, I mean, what God and what Jesus does in, in that was definitely an eye-opener for me. So, whoop, and my thing just went blank, so I may run long. No. The next one is, you, some of you may know who this is. I'm not going to tell you his name to start. Um, but here is a young man also raised by a very um, Christian mother and in the 18th century. And he will, as he grows up, he's going to head off into and be part of us. He's going to go to sea and he is going to work on ships and he will get moved from ship to ship. And eventually, 
with what he does in his work, he will get taken and he will get put on a ship and he will become part of the slave trade and constantly selling slaves, losing everything that his mother had taught him and all the faith that she put in him. And eventually he is out on a ship and he will, there will be a storm and at that breaking moment he goes back to what his mother taught him and he prays that they save the ship and they say and God can save him and they do and miraculously he will they will live he goes out marries a Christian woman um, and he becomes a pastor of a small English church and I know some of you may know who this is some of you may not um, we're going to sing the song after this, but it's John Newman, the man that wrote Amazing Grace. And eventually, he, like I said, he becomes a pastor, and he will, in a roundabout way, be part of, in 1807, he will, in Great Britain, they outlaw the slave trade, and they do it with the signing of a pen and not the killing of 620,000 people. So he will be part of that. So, um, we have lived long enough to know that the human is flawed. We are all sinners. Um, but by God's amazing grace, he shows that the ages can change the hearts of people like Nathan Bedford Forrest, like John Newman, people like you and me. We are not contemned to hatred, greed, pride, selfless, selfishness, um, we are not enslaved by racism, bitterness towards those who are outside our little group. People can change. And that happens through the grace of God. Um, the first verse of Newman's hymn says it so well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for saving a wretch like me. Um, help us all see the power of your grace. Help us humble ourselves and not judge others, but be the Christians you want us to be by serving you and praising you in the only way we know how. In your gracious mercy, amen.